Hello, welcome to Weathersnap. I'm Claire Nazir. And I'm Alex Deakin. It's Thursday the 25th of August and this week a slightly reassembled programme yet again because our very own Adrian Holloway is still away on holiday. He will return, ladies and gentlemen, do not worry. So this week it's just me and Alex and we're talking about the weather and climate headlines. Yes, this week we're talking about some fresh insights into the retreat of glacial ice and uh, the very latest on that heat wave that's been impacting much of China. First of all, though, cast your mind back to the second UK heat wave, which happened around the middle part of July. We talked about temperatures, very high indeed. It was very, very hot. And we had something called tropical nights where temperatures did not dip below 20 degrees Celsius. At the time, a record was set for the highest minimum ever recorded in the UK. However, more data has come to light. A low of 26.8 degrees Celsius was actually recorded at Sherborne Model Farm in Oxfordshire on the morning of the 19th of July. Now, this replaces the record set at Kenley Airfield on the same day where the temperature dipped to 25.8 degrees Celsius. And this information comes a month later than the actual event. Yes, that's uh, well, over a month ago. Why has it taken that long? Well, obviously, at the Met Office, we're ingesting data all the time. We have hundreds of weather stations reporting from right across the UK, but some report more slowly than others. And obviously, once this record was reported, we then have to verify it rigorously verify. We have specialist teams that go out and analyze and look at the site and just to double check that it is a bona fide record. And this was quite a remarkable record, breaking the previous record uh, by almost three degrees. So the previous record was set in August 1990, 23.9 Celsius. So absolutely smashed that record. Although lots of our sites report hour by hour, if not minute by minute, sending information back to our headquarters. We do have a network of voluntary manual observations for, for climate monitoring, really. So they don't necessarily report even every day or every week. Sometimes we just report at the end of the month. So once we got that report in that the temperature was so incredibly high, then we have to send out our station weather assessment team or SWAT team. And they go out and verify, make sure that uh, the Stevenson screen uh, is in perfect working order and everything around us, you know, the, the buildings haven't moved closer to the to the weather station and all the regulations are met. So we take our measurements very, very seriously. You know, we have some of the best kept weather records on the planet going back over 100 years. So we do take it very seriously and we do have to verify these records. So that's why this one was a little bit slower coming in and then it had to be verified. But it has now been verified. Uh, and, you know, it's just worth remarking on the temperature, 26.8 degrees Celsius. The previous record was 23.9 Celsius, so almost three degrees higher. So just like during the day when we smashed the previous record with a few sites getting over 40 degrees for the first time, and I think it was 40-something sites actually beating the previous daytime record. So it just, just goes to show how incredible that day was. We've talked a lot about the daytime temperatures, but the nighttime temperatures also just incredible, absolutely smashing. Uh, those previous records. I think for most of us, we would agree that we're pleased that that heat wave is over because, you know, sleepless nights, uh, if you had to work in it, I mean, I haven't got air con. I don't know anyone who has in, in your homes. You know, it's, it's going to the mall, to the library, going to a place which is a lot cooler. 
So spare a thought for the 100 million people in China who are still suffering under heatwave conditions. Now, this is extraordinary. It's a vast wave of southern China where there has been at least 70 straight days of heatwave. And this is the longest heatwave on record since records began in China. Um, There's many environmental impacts associated with this, obviously, lack of rain as well as the high heat. And this has put an incredible strain on the region's infrastructure. So dried up rivers and lakes have crippled the hydropower production in the region, which obviously has a cascading effect on electricity supplies. So by day, temperatures have peaked above 40 degrees Celsius, something we have experienced probably over one day. This is over 70 days. And then the nights have been unbearable at all. So on Saturday last week, Chongqing uh, city centre saw an overnight low. Listen to this. 34.9 degrees Celsius. I mean, whoa. I mean, I think last summer, Alex, we didn't have a temperature as high as that during daytime. No, no, no. And that 34.9 is a minimum. I mean, that is, oh, yeah, that is. It doesn't really bear thinking about, is it? Sticky, a sticky old night, to say mm. the least. Yeah. Yeah, think so. about the air quality as well. If you imagine the air quality under that sort of heat dome. Well, then there's, there's there's the wildfires to think about as well. You know, we, we, we saw some breaking out in the UK, obviously, in, in July when we had that incredible um, hot spell. But yeah, lots of reports coming out of China recently, thousands of emergency responders, you know, battling, trying to contain these wildfires, not just around that city as well. But since the 18th of August, you know, wildfires have been breaking out in multiple of the outlying districts as well. And that urban area alone is home to more than 32 million people. And this is part of a a trend of wildfires that we've seen ravaging areas from Australia to California. And as I said, we've seen some across the UK as well. And scientists continue to say that the elevated global temperatures due to human-driven climate change uh, increase is uh, just increasing the risk of these events. As we reported last week, actually, as well, that the reason behind this hot spell of weather is the stationary nature of the, the Meiyu front. It's just staying to the north, which is a kind of semi-permanent weather front uh, this time of year that kind of just meanders north and south, a bit like the monsoon rains, but it, it brings heavy rains where it lies. But it, it can kind of grind to a halt and it's ground to a halt north of this area. So that's why the heat has been building across southern China. But where it has been lying Heavy rain has been causing problems because it's just the incessant nature of that stubborn, slow-moving weather front that's brought brought landslides and flooding Mm. as well. So it's a kind of double-edged at the moment across China. So from heat and fire in China to ice in Europe. Now, this is a new study in the Cryosphere scientific journal. Cryo means ice. So it's the sphere of ice, the zone where ice is on on, on the planet. And a new study has found that Switzerland's glaciers have lost half their volume since 1931. The process is showing no sign of slowing down and researchers are saying that glacial retreat is in fact accelerating. Now, this is scary stuff. It really is. And the study was conducted by the Polytechnic University of ETH Zurich and the Swiss Federal Institute on Forest, Snow and Landscape Research. And it looked at Switzerland's 1,400 glaciers. So first of all, Alex, I didn't know they had so many glaciers. It's quite a small, relatively small country. But I presume a glacier can be anything from just a block of ice to something massive. Yeah, I mean, I, I found that number 
pretty staggering. I didn't study geography A level, so I'm not sure what what constitutes a glacier. Mm. But yeah, that was that was that's that's a big figure that stuck out for me. One thousand four hundred glaciers in Switzerland alone. But the, the finding about the rate of the volume that these um, that the ice is shrinking is just incredible. Over half in the past eighty five years, measured up to twenty sixteen. And then glaciers have receded a further 12% since then as well. So the, the numbers are staggering. The rate that these glaciers are are shrinking um, is just amazing. Mm. And it's, I mean, the way that they have analysed this is it's quite intuitive, really. They've used material from a photographic archive called the Terra Image Archive, which covers about 86% of Switzerland's ice-covered mountains. So they've analysed... 21,700 photographs taken between 1916 and 1947. So obviously, since then, we've had the advent of um, satellite imagery as well, which obviously has helped. And then they've constructed this sort of historical extent of the glaciers using a, a very clever technique called stereophotogrammetry. And this basically determines the shape, the, the nature and the position of any object on the basis of two pairs of points. So that's quite clever in itself. So they've been able to reconstruct the landscape historically and compare it with where we are right now. That's amazing. The fact that you can, you know, from from old photographs and comparing two images, they're able to recreate. That's, that's the kind of job I would like. I quite like that job. I think that would be pretty cool. But yeah, lots more, lots of information coming out from, from the research also found that uh, two periods, was it the 1920s and the 1980s, actually experienced sporadic growth in glacier mass so it's not all about them getting smaller they did at times get a little bigger in the 20s and the 80s as well but obviously that has been massively overshadowed by the broader trend of decline away from those uh, two decades and, and it's something that's mirrored not you know right across the globe isn't it it's something mm. with, that's constantly being monitored the, the state of glaciers uh, and again it's just just backing up the fact that the glaciers are shrinking right around the world and fairly, fairly ironic, really, that we have always used ice, particularly in the modern age, to understand past climates. So ice cores are really key to analysing what the constituents of the atmosphere existed at the time, what the temperature was. And now, obviously, we're looking at these glaciers, which is giving us a real proper physical indication of where we're going, where, where our future climate is going. So... It's not good news at all. It's, it's a sad day for glaciers. I was in Iceland just a few years ago filming and the people who looked after the national parks there almost talked about these glaciers as, as, as beings and were just so scared that they were retreating year on year and you're sort of waiting through the summer to see if the ice is returning. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about ice melt from land and how it will impact sea level rise. Um, and there's a fact which I think is an approximate fact, Alex, but let's just throw it out there anyway. Yeah. Now, although there's some uncertainty about the full volume of glaciers and ice caps around the world on Earth itself, if they were all to melt, global sea level rise would approximately increase by 70 metres, seven zero metres, flooding every coastal city on the planet. And sea level rise is in the spotlight on our latest edition of the Met Office Climate Newsletter. That was out on Wednesday, I believe. Uh, so search for that. We've posted it uh, across social media. So 
every couple of weeks we do a Met Office climate newsletter. So if you're interested in climate, make sure you subscribe to that and it'll drop into your inbox whenever it is issued. But yeah, it's really uh, good one this 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 month. The, the main focus for this month has been on uh, sea level rise. There's a really good blog written by the Met Office experts, Dr. Helene Hewitt, OBE, and Dr. Matt Palmer. They discuss the latest understanding in changes in global sea level. And hopefully they'll be featuring, or some of our scientists will be featuring on our Twitter spaces about that next mm. week. There's so many ways of communicating science and weather now. And something that you particularly do every month is your climate Twitter space, uh, where anyone can have access to the sort of the biggest brains in climate science. We've got 120, 130 climate science working for the Met Office. But Alex, for anyone who doesn't know what a t- Twitter space is, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who don't and would love to know, what actually is it? And, you know, how can we listen and, and take part in these Twitter spaces? Yeah, Twitter space is something we've been doing for around about a year now on the Met Office Twitter channel. Uh, it's, it's a relatively new feature to do with Twitter. If you're on Twitter, you may have noticed those purple blobs appearing at the top of your, your timeline. And that is that basically Twitter spaces. And it's basically a bit like a uh, a live podcast is, is the way I like to think about it. So if you've got a Twitter account, uh, you can set up a Twitter spaces and host them, and then you can invite people to come on and chat. So it's just people talking about various different subjects. Like you say, we've been having one every month on, on, the, on climate, and we get our experts in, and I join from the Met Office account, and we basically have a chat and talk about what the latest science is on a particular subject. So, yeah, this month we are doing um, – we are spotlighting – um, sea level rise, but we've done them before on on big data and that kind of things, and we've been doing that say once a month throughout this year. So Twitter Spaces, yeah, it's a conversation. It's live, but it's very informal. Um, we don't generally get questions in from the public on the climate ones, but we do do other ones where we get the public to come in and chat. You've been involved in a couple, Claire, haven't you? When we had the storms, for example, we we had a couple of Twitter Spaces, and people can just join in and ask questions. Uh, live on the Twitter spaces. So it's just an informal chat. And it's a good way of getting our experts, our scientists to come on and just talk about the latest science that they're doing. And they can do it in a kind of relaxed atmosphere. So it's not like a what can be seen sometimes as an intense radio or TV interview. It's a much more relaxed way of talking about things. And it's much more conversational. And actually, it's a really good way of getting the latest science out to a large number of people who are following us on Twitter. And there's one next week, next Thursday, a Twitter space. And this time it's about da, da, da. storm names. Yes. Yeah, so actually, we're hoping to do this. Not been confirmed yet, but we're hoping to do this on Thursday. Thursday is the 1st of September. So the storm names will be announced on Thursday. So at some point on Thursday, probably around about four o'clock, we're hoping to do a Twitter spaces and get a few uh, weather presenters to come on and have a little bit of a chat about it, about why we name storms, how useful it is to the public, that kind of thing, what, what people think about the latest names. So look out for that on Twitter Spaces. And then actually it'll be the week after where we do the Twitter Spaces on sea level rise. Alex Deacon, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Now, you're part of what has been called the Anton Deck of Weather. That is correct, well, isn't it? Well, only one, only, only one person calls us that, I think. The one and only that Rain Kelly described us as that one on her show uh, at the early part of the summer, which was good fun. Yeah, so Lorraine Kelly called um, Alex and Aidan McGiven the Anton Deck of weather. So we've had Alex and now over to Aidan, who's got your weather outlook into the weekend. 
It's the final weekend of meteorological summer and for England, Wales and Northern Ireland, it's also a bank holiday weekend. And this weekend, once again, we will see high pressure building from the west to bring settled conditions across the UK. This has been a recurring pattern through the summer. And so on the final weekend, it is, of course, no surprise that it should happen again. But one difference compared with the previous hot spells this summer is that this won't bring the kind of intense heat that we've seen so much of this summer. Temperatures only a little above average for the time of year. And there will be an exception to the mostly settled theme, and that is for Western Scotland as well as Northern Ireland, where here a series of weather fronts are likely to bring thicker cloud later Saturday, as well as some outbreaks of rain. Those outbreaks of rain clearing during Sunday, pushing into the far north of Scotland by Monday. There'll also be one or two showers on each day this weekend elsewhere across the UK. But these will be the exception rather than the rule. Most days, Saturday, Sunday and Monday, we'll see sunny spells, light winds and mostly fine conditions across the UK. Temperatures will respond as that high pressure brings fine conditions uh, with those temperatures rising day by day from around the high teens, low 20s as we start the weekend to the mid to possibly high 20s for Monday itself, the highest temperatures through the weekend expected across central and southern parts of the UK, always much cooler towards the far north and northwest. And that high pressure looks like it's going to stay for the rest of next week. It's really going to dominate out to the west of the UK. And as a result, it's going to stay mostly dry and settled with sunny spells and temperatures into the low to mid-20s across the UK. Of course, that means there won't be any substantial rainfall for those areas that have been so dry recently. But there's always a chance of one or two showers developing each day next week, particularly towards the south and the east. That was uh, Aidan McGiven. He's great, isn't he, Alex? Legend. The He's bar- a legend. The boy's a legend. And uh, before we go, let's just go over to the reassuring voice of Martin Bowles, who has last week's highs and lows. Here are the UK weather extremes for the week beginning on the 15th of August. The highest recorded temperature of the week was 32.1 degrees Celsius at RAF Coningsby in Lincolnshire on Monday the 15th. The lowest temperature was 0.3 degrees at Tullock Bridge in Venetia in the early hours of Wednesday. The largest daily rainfall was a massive 138.8 millimetres at Holbeach in Lincolnshire on Wednesday. The heavy showers and thunderstorms in this area on that day caused flush flooding, notably in Market Raisin in Lincolnshire and Worksop in Nottinghamshire. The sunniest place of the week was Leckenfield in Humberside on Sunday, where 12.0 hours were recorded. That's it for Weathersnap. Thank you to Alex Deacon, Ada McGiven and Martin Bowles and thank you for listening. I'll be back next week with my right-hand man, Adrian Holloway. Until then, bye-bye.